Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. Well, we continue <clears throat> as we work through the Scripture uh, this series called Thinking Like Jesus, how to take key uh, ideas, key biblical truths that would shape the whole of our life. We've looked at our understanding of God. What's His nature like? What does it mean to uh, have a relationship with God? What does it mean to uh, find authority? What guides us and directs us? This morning, we're going to look at a particular important concept, Imago Dei, the image of God. And you'll hear me place this across the whole revelation of Scripture. I'm going to hit this a couple of times. We'll see creation that establishes God's image in every human. We'll see the fall that impacts uh, our Imago Dei, the image of God in us. We'll see God's work of redemption where he rescues those he's created and who have fallen. And then finally, there's a hope of consummation, the end. These are four key threads that go literally from Genesis to Revelation. One of the ways to read and meditate through the Scripture is in each passage to see the impact of the creation on this text, to see the impact of the fall, to see the hope of redemption and the work of redemption, to see the hope of the consummation. So I've taken four key verses to lay out this theme, and I'll point them out to you as we go so that you're grounded and get this bigger picture. This is the context for understanding the Imago Dei. That's the steps to the dance. That's where we're going. I'll ask that you, out of reverence for the Word of God, stand with me as you're able, and I will read this morning four passages, beginning with the word of creation given to us in Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So... God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, each the sixth day. The stamp of creation. But then something happens, Genesis 3. I'm going to read from Romans, which is Paul looking back with 2020 hindsight. He says, this righteousness in the gospel is given through the faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That points to the pinnacle of redemption. It's been at work through the whole Old Testament. Here uh, we hear John reflect on it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't even recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, 
to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And then finally, a hope for our final completion, the consummation. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer even any sea. I saw the holy city, that new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, if you would, please, and we'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. Not simply the verse that we meditate on each day, but the whole grand story from Genesis to Revelation of your good intention your rescue of what was broken, your promise of a final, secure future. Even as we live in the midst of that, we thank you that you've spoken into our limited human condition and that these words have been carefully recorded, preserved, superintended by the work of the Holy Spirit so that now we might open them, translate, make the connections, be taught by you, We beseech you, Father, to continue the work begun in the Spirit, now continuing by the Spirit. Illumine our hearts and minds. To your glory, may my words be an encouragement towards that where my brokenness gets in the way. Guard your people from it. This day, we would look and see the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ who loves us. We pray in his name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, as I've said, that's the plot line of the Bible. I've taken a representative text, but you can see these threads through each of the four. Again, creation. And the point of creation is not nearly so much the mechanics of how it got here. Folks will argue and uh, discuss and test those things. Could it have happened in six days? Did it take thousands of years? It's not so much the mechanics as it is this. There is purpose to what we have. A loving God through whatever means we might see has brought us to this point. You are not an accident. It is not an impersonal accident, a random connection of billions of meaningless events that led us to this moment. There's more to just an accident. There is purpose rather than meaninglessness. There is someone rather than nothing behind all that we see. So friends, this idea 
that there is purpose to our life in Christ, that there is purpose in this planet is an important thing that affects how we see everything. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. What we see here is not an accident. Now, we may have to figure some things out and understand uh, what is this God like? How did it start? Those are all important, fascinating questions. But the dividing line at this point I want to set before you is not so much mechanics as it is purpose and accident. We're here in the mystery of a purpose. But if you look around, and Romans is... Paul, looking back through the history of Scripture and the world, you'll get a sense that, boy, either something's not quite right or this purpose is not so good. See, something is wrong in the life in which we live, and I don't need to think about anybody else. There are times that my goal is this, but I kind of land there. Have you ever been there? Why can I not live up to my highest aspirations? Why am I so quick to, well, the Bible has an answer for this. Not only is there purpose to creation, not only is what's here good, but something has gone wrong. Something is broken. That's the event of the fall. It works its way out. Well, if that's all we had to deal with, there'd be this struggle between good and bad, perhaps. But that's not the reality the Bible presents us with. There is a creation and a goodness. There is a fall and a brokenness. God's answer to those two realities is not go try harder, it's redemption. Love from outside the system for us and for every other creature in creation. The Hebrew scriptures point up and build towards the pinnacle, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then from that pinnacle flows the history of God at work, drawing from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's the work of redemption. It's been a long 20 centuries at work. But we work in our moment with the future hope of consummation, the final restoration of what God is doing a new order of things that will be established by the grace of God, not by the policies or efforts or power of people. This view through the Scripture helps us understand more clearly what I want to look at today and what it means to be created in the image of God. I'd love to dig more into this, but I've given you a link in the Thursday night email. It's called The Story That Makes Sense of All Stories. It digs deeper into this. You know, I realized of late that as I pray and minister, one of the things going on in my heart and my life, I'll just be transparent about this, for as many years as I've served God and his people as a pastor, there's an urgency as I pray for us to dig deep and and develop now the life of prayer and gospel-centeredness that we will need three years from now. If three years from now was going to be identical to our situation now, we could kind of chill. But this deep sense for me that there's an urgency. Now is the moment. Grow deep roots. Begin to see the gospel. Let the 
Spirit draw you to repentance that you might have a gospel refreshing. See, these things are so key. So I'm putting a lot of resources in the email. I encourage you to find a five-minute block here, a 10-minute block there to dig into those a bit. This morning, with that creation, fall, redemption, consummation, this view of, of reality, this framework, I'm going to look at this marvelous thing. In Latin, we call it imago dei. It's created in the image of God. And you see it right at the very beginning. It's one of the first things God wanted to make clear to us in the Scripture, that humanity was created in the image of God. And the first thing you'll see, if you'll go back and look at that passage in Genesis, is that it distinguishes us as humans from all other animals. Now, there are similarities between the biological life of animals and humans. The study of medicine can share that knowledge and understand. But I want to tell you something, at least in the worldview and the message presented in the scriptures, humans are not just animals. They're not just animals one step forward cognitively, that sort of thing. No, there's something, though the biological systems may be similar able to learn from, there's something unique that distinguishes every human being from every form of animal. And that's created in the image of God, the imago dei. Now, again, God gave us a particular mission and responsibility at that beginning. It was dominion, and dominion is not about exploit for self-purposes, but it's about accountability to the Lord. Because we are created in the image of God, we have a responsibility and the stewardship of God's creation. At the end of time, will we have been good stewards of all that God created and gave to us? Or will he look at our treatment of our world, of the animals, and of one another and say, oh, something was wrong and broken. Friends, all humanity is created in the image of God and touched by that. There may be humans who act wickedly and perpetrate evil. There are, but they are humans all the same. They may have tarnished the imago dei, or maybe I should better say, I may have tarnished the imago dei in me. But we're never animals. Nazis were evil humans for sure. But animals? No, just deeply tarnished image bearers. The Imago Dei connects all humans to a single source, to God. The world looks out, even at the rest of the population, is always looking for the us-them. Where do I belong? Who is that other? Who is on my side? Who is on that side? In the Greek language, there's a particular word for Greek, and there's a particular word for every other tribe and tongue and nation. Do you know what it is? It's barbaros. Does it sound like barbarian? Jew, Gentile, Greek, barbarian, us, them. I want to tell you, this is the same perspective of conflict that's at the very driving force of Marxism. 
the bourgeoisie, the proletariat. It's why the intellectual great-grandchildren of Marxism, the various critical theories, that's why they're all about conflict, us and them, oppressor oppressed, bourgeoisie, proletariat, racist, anti-racist. It's this sense that the world is an us-them where the view the Scripture gives us, because of the Imago Dei, the world is us and the Lord. And the us is everybody, not those people, yes, those people. Perhaps tarnished image, but image all the same. It's us and Him. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, a favorite holiday of mine. Lions football, and this year it might be a good game. I love the turkey, but I love the history. You know, the pilgrims landed at Plymouth and for a number of decades had a marvelous relationship with the Native Americans. It started off well. What changed? We'll hear all the talk about, oh, the invasion of America by the Europeans. It got to that. I understand that, but why was it so good to start with? It's because the pilgrims, I would say, treated the Native Americans like humans, the Imago Dei. The Puritans would come by a little later, a few decades, and it changed. There's a difference between a pilgrim and a Puritan. The Puritans were used to power. But that's another sermon at another time. You see this challenge of the us and the them. The Imago Dei says it's us, all humanity, and the Lord. And it reminds us that this matter of common humanity, you'll hear this word talked about, the common humanity that binds us together is a work of the Lord. It's not a secular idea. Secularists may borrow it and like it, but they could never generate it apart from just their own conviction or apart from a culture that pointed to it. Friends, I want to tell you, the Imago Dei, because it's a reflection of the triune God, the Imago Dei is the key to understanding that humanity is united but also exists in variety. United by the image of God, tremendous variety. One in God, why is it at the end, will be gathered around one throne, every tribe and tongue and nation. There'll be a unity and a reflection of variety. The Imago Dei bears these things out. But the gospel makes clear to us that there's a problem with the Imago Dei. Image bearer, our ideas creation, that's an origin, how things began, but there's the reality that's part of the gospel of our brokenness. The fall is how the scripture presents it, beginning in Genesis 3, but we, it's the explanation or the presence of evil in the world and in the history of humans. It means that even good people do bad things and bad people do good things. So we begin as image bearers, the scripture will even use the word children of God in a general sense for origin, but because of this brokenness and the fall, there's another step called adoption, redemption. 
And this is the child of God through relationship rather than just origin. It's a unique promise of the gospel. People may have a sense that we're all children of the great God in a general way, but it's because of the fall, it becomes then the unique redemption that we are deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king. So this adoption is the great gift that God has for the world through the message and ministry of the church. Not just a sense of origin that's united, but a sense of redemption in the face of our brokenness. Let me kind of give you some concrete examples here. Take that from the more theoretical and now to the very basic. I'll look at a particular scripture, Genesis 15. Do you know the parable of the two sons? There was a man who had two sons. You know that with Jesus. He's got two sons. Are they members of the family? You bet. They're both children on the farm. One chooses a lifestyle that leads to self-destruction, finds himself in, uh, you know, the, the pig food. He comes back. But when he comes back, what his, his desire? He doesn't realize that he's the option to come back as a son. He says, oh, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So, a child from the farm, farm heads off, lives a life of self-destruction, self-dissipation, comes back to be an employee. But the father says, no, you can come in as a son, deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. Now, the other brother, that brother never made the decision to go live a self-destructive life. He stayed home and spent his whole life as an employee. He would have been perfectly happy for his little brother to come back. Oh, you're right. You're not worthy to be a son, but you can be an employee. That's the way the older brother had lived his whole life. I've been slaving for you, he says to his dad, and I never disobeyed your orders. Both of these sons, the one who went off to self-destructive behavior and the one who didn't, related to their father as an employee. It's the grace of the gospel that would call them in, invite them to be members of the family, the relationship of sons. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. It's different than the idea of just be good and you'll be fine. It's you were created for more. There's something broken. God has offered you more than you could ever imagine. We talked a lot this week about the interesting question. Fill in the blank here. Humans are basically good or bad. Which one would you choose? Trick question. The gospel would say both. You know, it's a sucker's choice is what they call that when they say, are you going to walk or are you going to chew gum? Maybe I'm going to walk and chew gum. Are human beings basically good and living out of that goodness, or are they basically bad and living out of that badness? Friends, the honest, nuanced view of reality, my life, the person I see in the mirror, the person, none of us here, of course, the people I meet on the course of the planet, there's a spark of goodness that's the imago dei. There's a brokenness 
that rises up as well. It can be both and. Yes, it's a, it's a basically philosophical question, trying to make one or the other more than the next. The world has to pick one. And of course, it's us and it's not them. The gospel says both are image bearers with the sickness of sinfulness. Bad people can do good things sometimes. Good people can do bad things. A good person misses a stop sign and hits your car. They're still a good person. They just miss the stop sign. It's a broken world. A Nazi takes good care of their pet care while listening to Mozart. Still a Nazi. Broken and sinful. So what does the scripture teach us about God, how he views us and treats us? A couple of quick uh, conclusions I'd present to you. First of all, he sees the same for all humans. God sees all of us as broken image bearers in need of redemption. That's the term I want you to go home with today. Image bearers in need of redemption. Perhaps image bearers in need of redemption who through Christ have joined the journey, taking a step and have that great and final hope. But image bearers in need of redemption, every human being. That redemption is offered through the gospel of God's grace. What do you offer yourself when you fall short of your aspirations? Do you have a sense that there is forgiveness at the cross that can minister to you at the deepest level and alter your behaviors? Or is it Suck it up and try harder. Be better. Do all that you were meant to do. I want to tell you, God sees all of us as image bearers, broken by this world, in need of redemption. When we begin to see that, it changes how we view and treat other human beings. How do you view the people on planet Earth? not just as groups, but as individuals. Right now in the United States, you can walk through neighborhoods in any major urban center. I've got to encourage you to do that carefully because of the nature of our urban centers. Not sure I would do some of the things I did 40 years ago in the neighborhoods where we were. There on the streets, you'll see addict, whose lives broken and out of their own control. You'll see immigrant and refugee who've come from circumstances and situations beyond their control, destroying their life. You'll see the criminal looking to benefit through the loss of others. You'll see the wealthy with chauffeurs. It's all there. But what do you see in each of them? God. And I believe the gospel call us to see an image bearer in need of redemption. And hopefully, perhaps, someone that will join us in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. Abraham Lincoln surely led the United States 
in what meets the criteria of a just war. I've been thinking a lot about the divine image in just war this week. I didn't get to post all the resources for that. I hope to finish that this week, and I encourage you to begin to benefit from the thought and prayer and study of Christian believers for 15 centuries as you think about these hard questions. But Abraham Lincoln certainly identified the evil of chattel slavery in the South, and that it was the sort of thing that violated the divine image. See, this is where Southern plantation holders, uh, plantation owners made their false step to think that people of African descent were less than human. When that happens, bad things follow. So Abraham Lincoln led the United States to war with the Confederate States. And as a guy who grew up, no choice of my own, but grew up in a Confederate state, I'm glad y'all won. It was a just cause. But listen to how Abraham Lincoln processes this. The second inaugural address, they're still at war. They're a month away from the end of the war and the signing of the surrender. And he says in that address, both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. See, he sees a commonness among the two sides at war. He goes on to say, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Not for us, for all. And with the firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, he sees the limits of human beings, even able to discern their own rightness. Let us strive to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds. Who's included in that word, the nations? Just the union? Or the union and the former confederacy? Listen to it, it's in his language to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and for his orphan. Abraham Lincoln had a different vision of what restoration would be. Do you remember the reconstruction? That was the word I was looking for. To do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. After his death, it was found on his desk, notes, as he prepared and he wrote this, it's called the Meditations on the Divine Will. The will of God prevails. In great contests, each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. Both may be, and one must be wrong. God cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time. See, Abraham Lincoln governed with a vision that we're all in this together, even in the course of a war, even the enemy, marked by the Imago Dei. But both of us are marked by brokenness. The hope of the gospel is God's grace. Another story, ripped from the headlines, as it were, is about a man named Will Spear. He grew up in very difficult circumstances, battered, abused, hard life. He eventually murdered someone, went to jail in Texas, went to prison, had a life sentence. While in prison, 
for life. He murdered someone. Now, when you murder inside the Texas system, it's capital punishment. He was scheduled this Thursday for execution. But somewhere along the way in his prison term, Christian lay people showed up at the prison and began to study the scripture with him. Began to tell him the hope of the gospel. Yes, there's an image of God. Yes, there's a fall and there's brokenness. But Jesus has provided an answer. Will Spear came to faith in Christ with an execution order on his life. He began to lead worship on death row, would occasionally do a, a sermon that was shared among those who wanted it in the prison. And this Thursday on his execution date, he was put off from that date. Now, I want to tell you something. This isn't a moment that I want to reflect on capital punishment. May, may not, you hear the real life challenging circumstances of Will Spear. What I want to say to you is that Will Spear was always an image bearer who was broken and so desperately needed to hear the good news of the gospel. See, Christians go to places like jails. Or last week, I told you the story of the hospital in Gaza right now. Christians go to Gaza with the good news of the gospel and with care in every way we can because we see in every person the imago dei and the impact of the fall and we bring the message not of fix it yourself or let's try harder, but of Jesus died and resurrection and then a sure final hope for the cross. Here's some closing questions. Do you see yourself as an image bearer in need of redemption or as something else? I can guarantee you this is where you'll begin to shine a light on your own struggle with pride. Hopefully you're an image bearer on the journey towards completed redemption in Christ. And because of that, you're living in this day with a hope of a different final future. But where does it begin? An image bearer, you are. Fallen, yes. That's why the gospel is such good news. Do you see your, image, your enemy? Friends, I could have a rude moment by suggesting some potential enemies that we all have trouble extending God's vision to. Do you see your enemy as an image bearer in need of redemption? Perhaps they're on a journey towards full redemption in Christ as well. Perhaps there's hope for a different and final future for them, just like there is in you. Imagine if Christians had not gone to that prison in hope of the gospel with Will Spear. Whether he was executed or not, he'd face a different eternity than he does today. Friends, finally, are you willing to be a servant, a messenger of God's redemption to all humanity? All humanity may be a little overwhelming. How about first to yourself, make sure you've received it, but then carry it to a neighbor or a family member or a friend. 
The gospel is good news because it's God at work. It's God able to see us as we are, image bearers who are broken, and to offer us what we could never achieve on our own so that we might have a hope that can never be taken away from us. That's what God has called us to, come and receive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of the gospel, and I thank you that there's not a person I will see on the street or on the news who doesn't bear a difference from the animal kingdom. They're created in your image. Even where it's terribly tarnished, Will Spear murdered two people. The image of God in him was painfully tarnished. Even where it's tarnished, Father, we pray that we might offer the hope of the gospel. Help us to live in that hope first for ourselves, that we might know and experience a joy that we then share. Fill us with great hope. Thank you for this time together. Give us a sense of security, not based on what we've done, but based on who you are and what you've offered us in Jesus. Guide us through this confusing world. Thank you that even where our understanding is limited, our obedience to you can grow greater and greater. Our trust of you can go greater and greater. Until that day when you will wipe away every tear, death will be no more. All that was sad will somehow become untrue. For a new order will have overwhelmed and overtaken the old order of things. We thank you for your great love for us, Jesus. Fill us with hope, we pray, in your mighty name and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.